We're going to have communion together here in just a few moments, but I want to just share a thought for us as a church. I want to provoke some things in us. Um, I want to start with the the question, are you hungry? Have you you ever been hungry? Let's just do an exercise real quick. Close your eyes for just a minute. Do a little recollecting of your hungriest moment in life. And maybe it was like absolutely dreadful and miserable and do you, do you remember really, really being hungry? Do you ever, maybe, maybe even we'll jog something in your memory of something crazy you did because you were hungry. I mean, have you ever been so hungry that you see like the billboard with the hamburger or you see your favorite taco stand and you jerk the steering wheel, hop the curb, cut traffic off, they're honking at you. I mean, like you're risking lives because you've made a, a snap decision. Uh, to go get some food because you saw a picture, you saw an image, you saw a sign. Anybody ever been there? And or Have you ever almost hurt somebody over food, like snatching it off the table? Like it's the last piece? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking Like really hungry for something. Have you really been hungry for something? Have, have you ever been that hungry for God? I want to I read a passage of scripture. This was, this just came to me, uh, actually while we were worshiping, this passage popped into my mind and and um, it's, it's Psalm 63. This is not in the notes, so it may not pop up on the overhead. But Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Have you ever yearned for God with that kind of intensity? Like a thirsty man in the desert wanting a drink. I mean, have you ever been that desperate for God? Have you, do, do you know what it is to long for God? To, in, in your being, like, like he's saying here, to, to long for God. He says, so I, I looked for you in, in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Anybody ever know what that means, that you've experienced that kind of intensity in your soul, hungering for God? There's a blessing in hungering for God. There's a blessing in hungering for the things of God. There's a blessing, and that's, that's what I, I really want to make clear to us today. I want to I stir that in you. I want to provoke that in you. I, I want to change your appetites today. Do you know that's possible, to change your appetite? My wife actually said to me yesterday, not knowing really necessarily this is what I was going to be preaching, but uh, I, I was eating something that I probably wouldn't have eaten when we first got married, and she said, uh, your, your taste buds have changed. I'm proud of you. Like it wasn't a Twinkie or whatever I used to eat when we first got married. It was probably actually something healthy. I can't even remember what it was now, but it was, I think it was yesterday or Friday when we were out on a date. My appetites have changed. It's possible for your appetite to change. I want to start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, blessed are those, and this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, it, it, there's this phrase in there. It, it's talking about our, our former uh, position when we were in darkness, when we were lost, when we were outsiders, when we were the children of disobedience. And it, 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 there's this, this phrase there in the second chapter of Ephesians that says, you were fulfilling the desires of your flesh. That sounds really nice, but I learned a long, long time ago that that is actually impossible to do. Like, I tried it. 
I went after everything the world had to offer, and my flesh was never satisfied. My flesh was never fulfilled. Nothing in this world can satisfy our flesh. I, I, I tried, and I, it, it didn't work. It sounds nice, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, but it always leaves us empty. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You're hungry for it, yet you're satisfied all at the same time. It's awesome. Mary, in, in her praise to God in, in the first chapter of Luke, in verse 53, she says, He has filled the hungry with goods, and the rich he has sent away empty. Anybody know what it is to be rich in the goods of this world? That everything this world has to offer, yet be empty? And to hunger for God and be full. That's the paradox, and that's the reality. Have you ever hungered for God? I, I remember early on in my, my walk with the Lord, uh, really in the, the years leading up to the time I would meet Rachel and we'd fall in love and get married, she fell in love with me and kidnapped me and all that stuff. <laughs> the years leading up to that, I got saved January 96. I battled with addiction for a year and a half. In my walk with the Lord, I didn't know how to overcome a problem that I had. For 18 months, I struggled. And in, in the summer of 1997, I got set free. Like, boom. Like, I tasted and saw that the Lord was good. I had an encounter with God. He wrecked me for three hours, and all I left there with an appetite for was him. And so I would spend the next four years of my life in Bible college studying and preparing. And I, I remember the semester before Rachel arrived, I, I was a madman. I, spiritually, I, I, I wanted Jesus. Like, I, I, that, that, the reality of what, what the psalmist is talking there, Psalm 63, that, that, that I, 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 I yearned for him. There, there, there was a hunger in me that, that I wanted more of God. So much so, I lived off campus, but I, I was at the campus so much that the men's dean said, hey, hey look, we got an extra room upstairs. Don't tell anybody, but it's yours. So I brought a sleeping bag with me, and I would, after class, I would go up into that room all afternoon until dinner was served on the Bible College campus there. And, and I, would, I would lay in that bed, and I would it, cry, and I would weep, and I would seek the Lord, and I would get into the Word of God. I read through my Bible probably three times that semester. Seriously. Seriously, like in, in a four-month period, I read through the Bible multiple times. I'm talking hours and hours because I was hungry. I was desperate for the Lord, and that changed me. That, that's what marked me. That's what laid the foundation that has, has kept me for these 25 years walking with Jesus. There was a desperation, a hunger for God. And I believe that every Christian needs to experience that. Every, every one of us needs to go through seasons like that. Not just one season, but multiple seasons. There have been seasons where I, I just want to go and be alone with God. I want to get away with God. I, there's nothing. That, this life is just distraction and dissatisfying and unfulfilling. And I just want to be in the presence of God. We need those seasons in our life of just feasting upon the Lord. We're going to talk about fasting for, for, for a minute. Fasting food. When, when we're seeking Jesus, it turns into to feasting upon him. Fasting for us as believers is feasting. We're going we're to see that here in just a minute. 
But spiritual hunger, it, it is important and it is, vital, it, it is vital to our walk as, as believers. I believe that spiritual hunger is key to being blessed by God. There is a blessing, and Jesus is talking about that there in the Sermon on the Mount. There's a blessing that comes from hungering for God. Also, hunger is a sign of health. Spiritually, hunger is a sign of health. Naturally, physically, hunger is a sign of health. When you get sick, what happens? You end up losing your appetite. It's a sign that something is wrong with your physical body. Your appetite goes. Hunger is a sign of health. Let's, let's say it this way. If, if we're not hungering for the Lord, something is not right with us spiritually. If we lack spiritual hunger, something is wrong with us spiritually. We are not well. We're not in a good place. Hunger is a sign of health, both spiritually and naturally. Hunger, I believe, goes with humility. In fact, hunger causes us to be humble. Because hunger causes us to realize that there is a need. You know how we, a great example of this, if you don't have enough money to buy food, you will do anything to get a meal, right? It humbles you. It brings you down to the lowest. Hunger, right? And Deuteronomy talks about that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it says this, he humbled you and allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known, make, make you know, I'm sorry, that, that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is a passage that's, that's talking about the, the children of Israel as they were wandering, and God is providing for them, wandering through the wilderness, and God is providing for them every single day manna. And if you look that word up and study that out, literally what, what, what they were saying was when they would say manna, God has sent manna, they, they, this is what they were saying, God has sent what is it? They didn't know what it was. This was not normal food. And so they literally said, what is it? That was what they called it. What is this? We've never seen this before. What is it? Every day God would send, what is it? So there's mystery, right? Mystery is good for us. See, trusting. In mystery, it takes trusting, right? We don't know what God's going to send. We don't even know what he sent, but it sustains us. It's a mystery. In other words, it's putting us in a position where we have to trust God. There's a mystery about this, this thing. And we hunger after God to see what God has for us. Trusting in the midst of mystery always leads to great revelation. That's what he's saying here. He was teaching them that bread is, bread is not enough. Your paycheck is not enough. All the things, all the possessions, all you name it, climbing ladder, all this stuff is not enough. That's not going to satisfy you, and that's not going to sustain you. What's going to sustain you is the living word of God. Amen? We need to live with an, with an understanding. We're not going to make it through the day without God's word, without God speaking, without God leading, without God directing. We're not going to make it. 
Amen? That, that should be the reality of our existence as believers. We're depending on God to lead us, to guide us, to direct us every single day. I make plans. I, 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 I got to-do lists every night. I, I check my to-do list. In the morning when I wake up, I check my to-do list because I forget it when, I, when I'm sleeping. But most days, I don't hardly ever do what I plan to do. Why? Because God changes the plans. We have to learn to trust God, to walk with God. And hunger does that. It helps us. Hunger works in us a humility that brings us to a place of dependency. The hunger that is in our soul is telling us that we are not enough, that we need help. There is a deep need for God. That's what hunger is, is telling us. Psalm 107 verse 4, it says, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no, no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. And he led them forth by the right way, and they, that, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. When we hunger for God, you know what we will find? A dwelling place. We're vagabonds. We're orphans. We're homeless in this world. There's the, that, that's why there is in us this yearning, this desire for God. And as we pursue God, we find a family, we find a father, and we find a dwelling place. That's what spiritual hunger does for us. It draws us to God. It brings us together. And, and, and it, the Bible it says in the Psalms that God makes the solitary to, to, to dwell together in families. God, through hunger, spiritual hunger, brings us and puts us into his family. He brings us to the city of God. He gives us a dwelling place. Psalm 107, verse 36 and 37, reading down. So that was verse 4 through 7. If you skip down to verse 36, it says, There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish this city for a dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. People who are hungry will come to a dwelling place, and they'll become a fruitful people. This is showing us something here. You know why the farmer puts seed in the ground every, every year? Because he wants to eat. It's actually hunger. It's the desire within that, that man that causes him to plant the field. It, it ends up making him a fruitful person. There's an analogy for us. Unfruitful people have no spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger creates in us a it, it roots us. It gives us that dwelling place in God and produces in us a fruitfulness. Okay, so I said it a minute ago. Let's come back to it. We're all excited about this point. Let's talk about fasting. Don't get too excited. I mean, that was quiet. Amen. I thought maybe somebody would shout or say amen. That was quiet. Everybody say fasting. fasting. Now say it like you want to do it. Fasting. fasting. Oh, come on. You are not convincing me. Come on, say it like you're, like you're, like you're going to eat a steak. Say fasting. fasting. Come on. Most Christians 
fear the word fasting. They hate it. Christians who have done it and done it rightly love it. You know why? Because they find out that fasting is actually feasting. There's something that transpires. There's something that happens when we fast in our lives that there's no other way to, to experience. Some of, some of you need spiritual breakthrough. Let me ask you this. Are, are you willing to forego a candy bar? Stop at your coffee shop? A lunch out at your restaurant? Are you willing to forego food to get what you need from God to see your breakthrough? The Bible teaches this, and we should probably do a series on, on fasting sometime. But the, the Bible teaches there are certain things that will never happen in your life spiritually without fasting. Yeah, I can give you just one, one example quick off the top of my head. Right? This kind comes out not but by prayer and... Right? That, that's one example. There are hundreds of examples throughout Scripture. One, one of the big problems, we talk about American church, Western church... It's like the analogy, the, the, the story, and it's a true story that, that my wife told about the missionary who went over to a, a, a foreign land and they brought this child, demon-tormented, demon-possessed, and they brought him and said, you know, cast this demon out. He laid hands on him and prayed over him, and the, the child reached up, this demon-possessed child reached up, put his hand on his belly and said, too full. Too full. Man went back to his room for three days, prayed fast until he knew he'd gotten a hold of God and went back and cast the devil out of that. That's a true story. I don't believe in demonic possessors. You'll believe when it shows up on your doorstep. Yes, it's a reality. Amen. What's going on behind, what's, what, the, a lot of what we see in our nation today is demonically yes. Yes. driven. And we're sitting back fat and happy and spiritually dull and unaware of what's going on. We need to empty ourselves. We need to empty ourselves so that we can hunger for the Lord. I didn't enjoy fasting. You know, some people don't, they say they're fasting, but really all they're doing is dieting. Because all they've really done is stopped eating food. But they're not engaging with the Lord. Fasting is consecrating ourselves. It's, it's an act that we do that consecrates ourselves. We separate ourselves. We're getting rid of food. It allows me, if I'm at work, to you know, go sit in my car instead of going to the restaurant or getting my lunch out, sitting in the break room. I can go to my car and build an altar on my dashboard, and I can get alone with God and spend time with him. See, fasting is hard when you don't pray. But when you learn to commune with God, it becomes a joy. That, that, that's a reality. Fasting without prayer will leave you empty. Fasting without time spent humbling yourself uh, before the Lord, it just leaves us wanting. But when we take that time and we draw close to the Lord, it changes us. And a lot of times people, they, 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 they try to go on a fast so they can change situations and circumstances, like a hunger strike, like, God, I'm not going to eat until you do it, like, I found that to be horribly unfruitful. <laughs> but when we set ourselves before God and we allow God to change us in that time, 
That's where the joy comes. That's where the fruit comes. Your situation doesn't change, but you're changed. And then you can go and deal with the situation. God does the work in you. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, there, addictions, all, all kinds of things. There are, there are things, some of you have, have issues, circumstances, situations you've been facing for years. I want to encourage you, spend some time praying and fasting and see what God does in you. And you'll experience a breakthrough. I'd, I'd love to spend a whole lot more time on that. I'm trying to condense my message down today. We, we will get, get, get on that. Speed reading here, condensing. So let's, let's talk about motivators. Let's talk about motivators. Anybody have a car that requires the high-octane fuel? What happens when you put that low-grade in there? Smoke, right? It makes noises it shouldn't make. It doesn't operate the way that it's supposed to operate, right? You know, whatever we're putting into ourself fuels us. The food you put into your be belly, it fuels your physical body. Junk in, junk out. Junk food diet, you're going to feel like junk. Right? Same thing's true spiritually. What we feed on fuels our life. Are we feeding on the word of God? Are we feeding on Jesus? Are we feasting on the things of the Lord? Are we seeking after the righteousness like Jesus what, what are we feeding ourselves? That's what's going to fuel our lives. There, there are some things, three things I've got here, and this isn't probably the only thing that motivates people, but here, here's some, some motivators. Why we do what we do. I'm going to give them to you real quick, three of them. Number one is disobedience. What motivates you? What, what's driving you? What's compelling you to live the way that you live? One thing that compels people to live their life is disobedience. They're disobedient to what God's saying to do. And that's fueling the outcome of their life. Case in point, Jonah. Jonah in Jonah 1.3 says he rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare. And he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Disobedience. Disobedience was his motive. Disobedience was fueling him. Right? Second one, determination. A lot of people motivated by determination. Listen to what Romans chapter 2, verse 5 says about it. Let's say it another way, determination. How about stubbornness? Is your life being directed by your own stubbornness? Romans 2, 5 says, In accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of, of the day, of the, I'm sorry, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Think about that. Is it, is it hardness of heart that is fueling your life, that's directing you? I, I think that's what was motivating both Peter and Judas. They're, they're two determined men. Peter, Peter's a man, he's just determined to do the right thing, right? Like they, they come to take Jjesus away, he pulls his sword out, and swings, cuts Malchus' ear off. Jesus says, hey, put your sword away. That's not how this kingdom works. Like he's, just, he's just moving on the whim, right? He's determined, he's gonna... 
right? And Jesus said, hold on a second. That's not the right way. Judas was also a determined person. You know, you know that, that Judas, I, I believe this with every fiber of my being, Judas wasn't intending to betray Jesus. Judas was actually a part of a religious faction that was anti-Roman, and he thought in doing what he did, he was actually hastening the coming of the kingdom of Jesus, that Jesus was going to be arrested, and that Jesus' followers were going to rise up and revolt against, overthrow the Roman kingdom, and he was going to get his political desire fulfilled. He had a determination to overthrow the Roman Empire. And then when he saw Jesus dead upon a cross, it was too much for him to take. He was motivated by a determination. If we're not careful, our determinations will get us in, a, in the wrong place. Here, here's the last one, desperation. Desperation. I believe this needs to be the motivation of every Christian. We're desperate for God. We're desperate for his kingdom. Not living from a place of disobedience, not living from a, a, a place of determination or our own will, but a place of hunger that brings us to a place that we're, we're, we're so hungry for God and for his purpose to be established in his life. We, we, we're, we say this, I have my own uh, determination, I have my own will, but nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. I'm so hungry for God, for his presence, for his purpose to manifest, to see his righteous kingdom established, that I'm willing to surrender my own will. I'm so desperate that I'm tired of having it my own way. What's fueling us? What's driving us? I, I think Job had this kind of mo motivation. Everything is taken away from Job. What's the first thing he does? The Bible says he, he builds an altar, he gets down, and he worships God. That's Job's response. In the midst of his entire world collapsing around him, he says, I just want to be in the presence of God. Listen to what Job says in, in Job 23, verse 11. He says, my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. And this, I, I, man, I, this, I want to backtrack the, the, those first words. My, my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. There's a beautiful picture uh, or, you know, analogy, however you want to say it, of, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's a term. Zach, Zach Juzak, Juzak used this last week when he was here. He talked about how a disciple of Jesus was someone who was walking so close to Jesus that the dust from his sandals was flying up on, on their clothes. Are you following Jesus close enough where his dust is hitting you in the face? Where the dust off his sandals is landing on your sandals. Are you following him that closely? Are you that desperate for him? I mean, anybody ever had anybody that, that's done, done that to you? That, like they've stalked you, they've followed you around? Amen? We, we need to be stalkers. Jesus stalkers. Like we're, we're hot in hot pursuit. We are following hard after him. Amen? 
We're hungry for him. We're desperate for him. We can't live without him. My my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. See, when you get to that place of desperation, fasting is not hard. When you said, I've had enough of myself, I've had enough of my ways, I've had enough of the, trying to fulfill myself with pleasure, with, with, uh, with climbing the vocational ladder, with work, and with, with trying to find affirmation, with trying to find acceptance, without, with, with trying to find something in this world that will satisfy this deep. I've gone after all of it, and I've been disappointed. Give me his word. Just give me Jesus. His word is more necessary to me than food. We need to come to that place. If you read Ecclesiastes, I'd love to preach the entire book of Ecclesiastes right now. I'm not going to do it. But if you read it, 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 three things you can find out. He said, I, I, I've sought pleasure and it didn't satisfy me. I worked hard and it didn't fulfill me. What profit does a man have in all of his labor upon the earth? He amassed large sums of money. This is, this is Solomon, by the way. Like, this is not like, you know, some, you know, family in America living below the poverty line trying to be happy. No, th- this is the man who had sexual relations with multiple women every single day, and he said that pleasure did not satisfy me. This is a man, his work, I mean, he was the king. He, he, was, he was the most revered king on the planet. And he said, that didn't satisfy me. Wealthiest man on the planet. And he says, this is the man who wrote Ecclesiastes. He said, vanity of vanities, none of it satisfies. What in the world are we after? Why are we pursuing the things of this world so hard? Why do we have to have three jobs? So we can have six phones in our house and cable and Wi-Fi and every appliance under the moon. Houses and mortgages and $1,200 a month car payments. My dad built his first house for three times that much, $3,600, he built his first home. What are we after? What, why, are, why are we pursuing vocation? Why are we pursuing status? Why are we trying to climb ladders? Empty pursuits. Empty pursuits. I want our team to prepare with the communion, the ladies and the gentlemen to prepare. Hopefully... I've provoked you today. Spiritual hunger. You know what's wrong with us? We are spiritual junk food junkies. Going after everything that this world has and living life unfulfilled. Some of us are just going after religion. Guess what? Religion will not fulfill you. Somebody asked me before the church what background we are. 
We got some Pentecostals here. We got some Baptists here. We got some Catholics here. We got all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. We got people here that didn't grow up in church. But there are a bunch of people here that figured out that none of that religion satisfies. Amen. The only thing that satisfies is Jesus Christ. Amen. I got friends and I love them dearly. But they are in pursuit of doctrine. 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 And doctrine's important. Don't get me wrong. We need to have good, healthy doctrine. But I want a doctrine that puts Jesus in the middle. He says, come. Come and get everything that you need and you'll be satisfied. Can I read one more passage of scripture? These guys are getting ready to serve us communion. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. Hope, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, come to me, here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Let's stand together. I want to ask you the question, how, how much longer are you going to buy stuff that ain't bread? And keep buying into things that aren't satisfying you. Rachel and I went on a fast. I won't explain the whole thing to you, but for 40 days, nothing went into this mouth that wasn't either a fruit or a vegetable. Oh, that's easy. Try it. Especially, I mean, y'all know what I like. I mean, how many times have you heard me talk about tacos? I was a fast food junkie. I was running a construction business, working 12 hours a day, stopping at gas stations and fast food joints with you know, big slurps and candy bars and Twinkies and fried food. One day after that 40-day fast, I got hungry. And you know what I craved? Now, when I started the fast, I did not let celery touch my body. <laughs> but during the fast, it became one of my go-to snacks. One day, a few weeks after our fast, I got hungry. And the first thing that popped into my mind was a celery stick. Here's, here's the lesson. You crave what you feed yourself. You know why you don't want Jesus? It's because you are a consumer of everything this world has to offer.
You have an appetite for junk food. Let me challenge you. Go on a fast from all that garbage. A real fast. Isaiah talks about the fast that pleases the Lord. It's not some sanctimonious, ooh, look at me, I'm fasting. And No. It's intimate time with Jesus. Sacrificing everything this world has to have time with him. That's the, essence, that's the true essence of what God wants us to know a fast as. Getting rid of stuff so we can have him. That's what a fast is. That's what God wants us to experience. Not drudgery. Mm, this is hard. If you're complaining, you're losing your blessing. Ooh, look at me. Fasting. If you're bragging, you're losing your blessing. Jesus said, wipe your face, don't tell anybody, and come spend time with me. Do it privately, and I'm going to reward you openly. Right? It's a blessing. Church, I want to push you guys towards that. I want to provoke you. I want to stir in you. Well, Pastor, that wasn't the nice message I heard over there at the other church. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not sorry that I'm preaching. I'm sorry that that's not what you're hearing there. I'm not here to build a mega church. I'm here to make disciples. People who really want to follow Jesus. That's what we're here for. So it might not be nicely packaged. It might not rub your fur the right way. But I love you, and I want you to know Jesus. I want you to really know Jesus. Not the commercial Jesus that we package. The real Jesus. Church, we need to draw close to the real deal Jesus. I'm here to tell you today as your pastor, you're not going to get some of that stuff if you don't do what I'm talking about today. You're going to miss on the blessing that God has for you. Get in the word and feast on the Lord. Get on your knees. Build a prayer closet somewhere in your house. Spend time with the Lord. Gentlemen, if you would, let's distribute the elements. We're going to take communion here. And I wanted to set it up this way. Communion, in reality, thank you, Mike, is a great reminder that we feast on Jesus. He's our sustenance our life giver, our all in all. We get everything we need from him. Paul said, I, it's in Jesus that I live and move and have my existence. Let them finish serving you and we'll get ready to take the elements here. While they're passing that, let me, let me just say this. this when, when, Jesus, when we read about Jesus doing this in the scripture, it was a Passover meal. They had dinner. They had real bread. They had real wine, fruit, juice. And, and, and they were observing the Passover meal. 
I think it's important for us to understand that. And what's significant about this, this, this is a representation of the broken body of Christ. This cup is a representation of the blood of Jesus. True fact, some churches don't, by policy, speak about the blood of Jesus in their, in their services. It's a shame. It's anathema. Should never happen. We're not a church without the blood of Jesus. We're not a church without the cross and what he's done for us. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of the blood or any element or any part of what happened to Jesus. We embrace it wholeheartedly. And that's the when you read John 6, when it talks about the disciples that departed because he was preaching that message, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, it wasn't cannibalism, it wasn't some weird stuff. It was the spiritual reality. Unless you accept what I do for you on the cross, you'll have no part of me. And they turned back because the message was too strong. We embrace wholeheartedly what Christ did for us on the cross. And when we do this, we remember what he's done for us. Jesus took the bread in Luke 22. He gave thanks and broke it. Just take the little cracker and snap it. There's some significance to that. The broken body of Christ. And he gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. I want to read a passage in Hebrews about the blood of Christ. It's about the blood of bulls and then the blood of Christ. Bulls and goats. In Hebrews 9.13, it's where if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood that those priests used in the ceremonial practices of the, the temple or the tabernacle cleansed, purified outwardly the body. But the blood of Jesus did what the blood of those bulls and goats couldn't do. It cleanses us spiritually. It cleanses our conscience. And then in Hebrews 10, 4, it says, For it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins, but the blood of Jesus has taken our sin away. Father, we thank you. I thank you for the work of Calvary. I thank you for what you've done in our lives. Lord, you did that, Lord, that we might have an abundant life, that we might be able to go to you and receive everything that we need in this life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every way. You were impacted. Your body mangled. You died so that we could experience, truly experience 
life, freedom, peace, joy, comfort, strength, health. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Father, I pray that you would stir in us a hunger, change our appetites, change the desires, change our motivation. Lord, we want more of you. Father, I pray that you would stir in us, awaken in us, Lord God, spiritual hunger, spiritual desire, Lord God. Lord, that we would become pursuers, seeking your kingdom, pursuing, following after you, Lord God, looking to you for every aspect of our life. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, I love you. I really do. I love each and every one of you. I'm thankful for you worshiping here with us today.